Well, good morning. It is, uh, it is a delight to be back. Uh, my wife, Carissa, and three of our seven kids are here this morning. And uh, we, are, we are delighted to be with you. Uh, uh, three of our kids are off in Montana at a, a livestock judging contest in Billings. And so they're, uh, they're doing that. And uh, one of our other older children is uh, back at our home church uh, serving in the kids area this morning. And so we brought our three littles. And so uh, we are delighted to be here with you guys. Um, thank you again for, uh, to the deacons for the invitation to be a part of, of your congregation for the day. Um, it is a joy to, to come and to be a part of, uh, of God's expression, beautiful expression of his church here in Stanwood. Uh, we do see it as an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning. And, and, uh, and a gift to us. It's a gift to our family. You know, to be a part of someone else's uh, congregation for a bit, it's, it's uh, to be a part of God's church wherever we go is a delight. And so to be here this morning with you is truly a gift. Um, to join you in worship, um, even a little bluegrass this morning, that was pretty cool. Love, loved that. So uh, thank you. Um, it is a treat to, to be here. Um, this morning, we were, uh, you know, as I was thinking through uh, just how the Lord would lead uh, our time together, um, you know, he just kind of brought me back to, uh, to this passage that we're going to look at this morning. Um, but the, the title of the sermon is To Know Him is to Trust Him. And uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, if you want to, you know, you can flip there and, and, and join me there. Uh, but, uh, but the idea of trust is an interesting thing. You know, how well do you know, how well do you need to know the person in order for you to trust them? All right, like, like if you're going to trust somebody with something important, like how, like how much do you need to know? Like, like, do you trust the person sitting next to you this morning? Like you turn to the person next to you, like, do you just look them in the eye and just kind of make that calculation, do I trust this person? And I, I hope that, you know, because you guys are churching together, that this is expression of God's church, that, that this is like, like who you are as a community, you are doing life. I, I hope that your answer was yes. And so I have a little test for you this morning. All right. And so I, I want you to like, like look at like, so, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. You trust the person probably because you know the person, Right. Like, there's something about, like, in order to trust somebody, you need to know them. Why? You need to know, like, that they're trustworthy, that there's something in them that's good enough, right? You know, that it's good enough, that it's, it's, there, there's something about them that's good enough for you to, like, you know, place your trust with them. So you know them really well. So, again, look at the person next to you and you say, do I know this person really well? All right, so the, the test this morning is um, I want you to tell the person, look them in the eye, and tell them what you think they are thinking right now. Okay? Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them what you think they are thinking right now. All right, so, so, if, so if you said this morning... I really can't wait for that guy up there from Monroe to stop talking so that I can get to lunch. Like, okay, you don't need to raise your hands, but that's okay, I understand. And, uh, you know, we'll wrap up soon. Not very soon, but soon enough, you know, sometime at 2, 3 o'clock, so uh, you'll get to your, your lunch. But there's, there's, uh, there's something about levels of trust that, that are interesting, right? So let me, tell, let me tell you a little bit about trust. So we got Halloween coming up. Apparently you guys have some... Uh, Treats, no tricks. So that's fantastic. Um, make sure you're part of that. That would be that would be great. Uh, so when I was growing up, 
Um, I would, uh, as a kid, I would get a, like a little uh, pillowcase. How many of you guys went around with a pillowcase? Okay, yes. So the pillowcase, they make buckets. I heard McDonald's is coming out with a bucket. You know, like, I don't know. I like the old pillowcase. Number one, it had like a lot of give to it. Number two, it was huge. Can you imagine how much candy you can fill in a pillowcase, right? I mean, just the, you know, it's very, it, anyway. So we had uh, great expectations in our neighborhood that we would fill this entire pillowcase. So my parents would like, at some age, I can't remember which, probably, I don't know, probably younger than I'd like to think, um, would send us out on our own, me and my older sister. And we, we would go out on our own and, uh, or with some friends, and we would hit the neighborhoods. And we would, if you were like me, you, you knew which neighborhood you wanted to get to because they had like the king-size bars, right? So, you know, more candy per capita, whatever you would do to figure that out. And so we would go and we would hit the doors, we'd knock on doors, and we would go and we'd get as much candy as we can. And then we would come home. And then the rule in the house was that we had to dump our candy out on the floor in front of my dad. And then, you know, because you can't trust the random people to fill candy into somebody's pillowcase because it's just not trustworthy, right? There's a bunch of randos out there. Who knows, you know, what they're going to put in some kid's, can, you know, some kid's bag, right? And so the, there's a lack of trust. And so my dad did not trust the neighborhood around him to make sure that his kids wouldn't get some sort of faulty stuff inside their bag. And then there was like some sort of dad taxation where there had to be like sampling of the candies in order to like approve and to make sure that this, these randos that were giving candy to his children would like pass the test, right? So I don't know if it was a lack of trust or was the dad taxation thing. I'm not really sure how that worked together, um, but I'm trying to implement that in my family's life as well. Dad taxation is, is important. Another level of trust. How many of you guys like sushi? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I, I have had sushi like one time in my life, like it was prepared by a friend of ours that we went to their house and they prepared it and it was like, okay, I will do this, you know. I will, I will, I will, I will gird up my, myself and, and, uh, and, and, and do this. And then uh, recently we went out with some friends and uh, they wanted to go to sushi and it's like, okay. All right, we'll do sushi. And so I sit down at the table, and I'm looking at this menu, and it's in Greek, or not Greek. I don't know what it was in. It's, it's not anything I understood. There's names of things, you know, involving all sorts of things that are under the sea that I am not too familiar with, and then they come to you, not cooked, but like raw, and, and you know, I, I just looked at them, I'm like, okay, you guys need to help me. Like, I need to trust that you are going to bring, you know, you're going to help me order something that I'm not going to, like, you know, die from, right? You know, we have these stories about sushi. So, so anyway, a level of trust that puts, like, willing to, like, okay, I'm willing to put something into my body that you say is okay, right? So, um, trust is an interesting thing. This morning, though, we're not talking about uh, trust of the Halloween candy, dad taxation, sushi kind of variety. Really, we're talking about this morning the kind of trust where that we want to put like the most important things in our life into someone's hands. We're talking about the kind of trust that involves your life, your worth, your family, your purpose in life, your mission, your values, the very essence of who you are designed to be, like that is like the core of us, the core of who we are, the most important things in our life. Like, who do we trust with that? Are we on our own? Do we trust in the Lord? Right? 
That is the level of trust that we're talking about. It's a trust that everyone longs for, everyone is looking for, everyone knows is there, that there is a trust out there that they desire, and they may or may not have found it in their creator, their maker, the one that knits us together. I mean, he has knit us together, not only our very bones and our organs and our flesh and our tissues, but our our souls, our personalities, our makeup, our purpose, our mission, the very essence of who we are, that is who he has designed us to be. And when you're out there in the world and you don't know where all of that comes from, you're like just bobbing in the sea without any kind of rudder, right? You're You're just aimlessly drifting around. And the kind of trust that I'm talking about says that, okay, if I'm going to trust something or someone with the most important things that make me who I am and my children and my family and the very purposes for which I'm on this planet, like if I'm going to put that trust into someone, I need to know that person first. And so this morning we're going to talk about to know him is to trust him. We trust Jesus because we know Jesus. We trust him because we know him. We know him because we trust him. We trust him because we know him. This is the trust that we're longing for. This is the trust that we have in Jesus when we truly know him. I'm going to pray and then we'll get into Matthew chapter 20. Jesus, we are just grateful this morning that we can come into your presence. You are here. You are with us. You are right here in Stanwood. We're grateful that we can celebrate who you are. Thank you for the beautiful time of worship this morning where we can gather in your presence and and just sing praises Our hearts abandoned to you, just laying it all out. We are here for you. And as we look to your word this morning, would you just guide us and direct us in our thoughts? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be present, moving in and amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is probably a familiar story. I I love the fact that some of the lyrics came out in our worship songs this morning. It's as if the Holy Spirit was at working, like, like he knew something was up this morning. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, this is a familiar story. I'm sure you guys have read this. You know, it's, it's, in, the begin- I mean, it's in the first book of the New Testament. So if you've ever said, hey, I'm going to read through the New Testament uh, this year, you probably started with Matthew Chapter one, and, and I would imagine before you ran out of steam, you, may, you, know, you got to at least Matthew chapter 20, right? So there's a good chance that we've all read this story before. Uh, you've probably heard it um, if you were like me and you grew up in the church and you had flannel graph in the Sunday schools, right? There was like the two blind men on flannel graph, right? And they would sit there and they would be crying out and there was the little crowd that would move across in the flannel graph. How many of you had flannel graph growing up? Okay, I'm not alone, excellent. All right, so this is, this is like a good Baptist church. You would have flannel graph, right? So, um, uh, uh, you know, 40 years ago. So, uh, you know, so this story is familiar. But I want to look at some of the significant things that we see in it. Um, these two blind gentlemen, they knew Jesus. The crowd 
the Pharisees did not know Jesus. And so what we see is we see two men that know Jesus and they trusted Jesus with the very most important things in their life. These two blind men knew Jesus. All right, we can look at the text, we can find that out. Number one, they knew that he was in town. All right, so the scuttlebutt was all about Jericho. This man, Jesus, is, is coming through town, and he is there. And as he is leaving town, these two blind men are realizing this is our last chance. This is desperation moment. This is when Jesus is moving out of Jericho. Little do they know, though, that he's moving towards Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, which then leads to the prayer in Gethsemane, which is, leads to his uh, um, being arrested and his trial and then his crucifixion and his death and burial and resurrection and ascension and praise the Lord we are in the moment where we are waiting for Jesus to return. Of course, they don't know that. What do they know? They know that Jesus is in Jericho and they know that he's on his way out and they cry out. But why do they cry out? They cry out, they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. An interesting phrase to use, right? They're not saying, hey, you know, Lord, have mercy on us, Jesus, the carpenter's son. They specifically say son of David. But they call him Lord, which could be just being polite, saying, you know, a nice way of saying sir in this time period. But more likely, they recognize that this is a man who has authority. And why, why would I say that it is probably someone that says that he has authority? If they're going to call him Lord, they're going to they're call him Lord because they recognize he has authority. And why do I think that? It's because they recognize that they have a blindness and that this man can do something about it. They knew Jesus, and they knew that Jesus had authority over such things as illness, sickness, blindness. They knew that to be true about Jesus. They knew he had authority, and so they call him Lord. Not just authority as in authority over people, but authority over sin, the power to forgive, authority over sickness, the power to heal, authority over blindness, the power to bring sight. Like they knew that to be true about Jesus. They knew Jesus, and so they called out to him because they trusted him. They knew that he was Messiah. This is significant. They called him son of David. This is so significant in the passage here. They called him son of David. What is all of that about? Well, the blind men recognized that he was Messiah. They called him son of David. That is a reference to the prophetic word that the Messiah would come from the line of David. You can flip back in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, uh, verses, uh, 2 Samuel 7. I don't have this one on the screen, so you might have to use your Bible, which we always recommend. It's always nice to hear the little pages flipping around. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. This is a, a prophecy from Nathan spoken to David, King David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Psalm, whom I put away from you. 
from Saul, whom I put away from you, before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so this was a prophecy from Nathan, the prophet that would speak over King David. And the people who, uh, who, you know, the Israelites who would study God's word and know the Old Testament history, they would recognize and they would know that Messiah was coming through the line of David. Like this is something they would know. All little boys and girls would know the story of God, Yahweh, right? They would know of God and they would know that his plan was to establish his kingdom forever through the line of David. And so for these men to say, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David, they recognize who Jesus is. They recognize that he is Messiah. Isaiah chapter nine, normally we don't get to this one until Christmas time, but little, you know, They've got Christmas paraphernalia out in the stores. You've seen it. People are putting lights up. Crazy people are ready. I even heard of like, you know, people are actually playing Christmas music right now, which is, which is disallowed in my house till after Thanksgiving. But we will make an exception for the word of God. Okay. Isaiah chapter nine, six through seven. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this is prophetic word from the, the prophet Isaiah that would, that would, again, be always rattling around in the minds of young, uh, young Jewish boys and girls, knowing that one day Yahweh was going to rule forever, that he's wonderful, that he's counselor, he's mighty God, and that his rule will come through the line of David. Like, these are the things that they knew to be true. And so these two blind men recognized something in Jesus that the, that the Pharisees and many in the crowd did not recognize. How do we know that to be true? Because the crowd is trying to silence these blind men, right? And, the, and it true, like, as we will find out, it's the Pharisees that were blinded to who Jesus was, and these men could see clearly. They knew Jesus. They knew that he had authority. They knew that he was Messiah. They knew that Jesus was the son of David. You can flip over to Matthew chapter one. We're not going to read it because there's too many names for me to figure out how to pronounce properly. But it's the genealogy of Jesus. And we, and we recognize that Jesus's, his lineage can be traced all the way from Abraham through David on into Jesus, that, that, that there's proof in the scriptures that Jesus is indeed coming through the line of David. And so we see Old Testament proof. We, of course, these blind men didn't realize that Matthew 1 was coming down the road, right? So they didn't have that, but they recognized the truth. We have that in Matthew chapter 1. We also have in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. This is Jesus' words specifically. I am the root and the descendant of David. Descendant of David, that makes sense to us, right? Like he is of the lineage of David. The line of David is coming. The rule, the kingdom everlasting forever rule of of this Jewish people that they have known that the Messiah was going to come and bring to fruition was going to come through the line 
of David, but also the root of David. Literally, Jesus, not only is he the son of David, but he is the creator of David, right? He is, he is who David came from, right? We recognize that Jesus is the before and he's the after. He is the, the before all things and he is all things, right? So he is the root of David and the descendant of David. I love that. And of course, these blind men didn't have a revelation, but you guys do. Right? So we know we have the chance to know Jesus even more than these two blind men do. Right? We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have experiences in our life. And so these two men, they saw something in Jesus. They recognized his authority. They recognized that he was Messiah. They knew that he was to be trusted and followed. If they knew that Jesus was Messiah, then they knew his character. If they knew Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, of the prophecies of, about how Yahweh was going to save his people, if they knew that to be true, that he was Messiah, that he was from the line of David, that he had authority, then they knew his character. They knew that this was the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of the Exodus, that in times where the people of God cried out, it was God who came in and rescued them time and time again. It was like the character of who God is, the goodness of God. They knew that to be true because they recognized that this is Messiah. And if they knew that this was Messiah, then they knew that the God of the Old Testament, the God that they grew up learning all about, the God that they experienced, they knew that to be true. Like the character of who God is and how he is good in all circumstances and is able to do mighty things, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, the one who brings righteousness. Like this is who Messiah is in flesh. And he's walking from Jericho on the way to Jerusalem and these two men are watching it happen and they cry out and they recognize this is who he is. He is good. He is love. He is power. He is, he is the one who can have authority over sin, over sickness, over blindness. And so they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And so the crowd is trying to stop them. They cry out again. And of course, Jesus stops. And with compassion, he heals them because that's who Jesus is. The blind men had faith to see who Jesus was. The Pharisees, for all their training, were blind to the true nature of Jesus. Sometimes we can get caught up in our own pride and self-worth. These Pharisees were not wanting to lose the earthly accomplishments, their position of authority, their power, what they've accomplished in life. They didn't want to give that up because that would be at risk if they recognized who Jesus was. And so sometimes we can be blinded to the true nature of Jesus for a variety of reasons. So this morning I'm going to talk about if you know him, then three different things, right? If you know him, then you trust him with your heart. All right, the first one, if you know him, then you trust him with your heart. You trust him with the things most dear to you, right? The blind men were asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? What a question. Can you imagine if Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you be ready to answer? Would you know what your, answer, what, what your question would be, what your answer would be? Are you prepared with that answer? 
I believe that this is the kind of question that Jesus wants to hear from our heart on a regular basis. What is it that you want me to do for you? I want to know your heart. And of course, these men recognize like, like, okay, what do we want more than anything is we want to be able to see. I mean, can you imagine being in a world where there was no way to work or no way to provide for yourself, no way to do anything but basically beg on the side of the street? Um, you know, if you were blind in this culture, game over. The very thing, like they, can you imagine if the Messiah, the one they recognized that had authority, the one they recognized was through the line of David, the one that they recognized was Yahweh in flesh, the one that they recognized was going to bring and establish his kingdom forever, came through, and if they gave him like the thing most precious to them, what if Jesus just walked on by? Do you think it was risky to ask that? I think it was a little bit risky for them. And yet they knew who God was and they trusted him with their heart and they gave him. I think sometimes we hold things back from God because we don't want to risk. We don't want to be hurt, right? And so God wants our hearts. He wants everything about who we are. Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That's who he is. He is a refuge. He is a defender. He is a protector. He is the one who is for us. And if we know him, we trust him. And if we know him to be the refuge, if we know him to be trustworthy, then we give him our heart, the things that we care most deeply about. What if you're like me sometimes where you're thinking, like, I know all of those intellectually, but like my heart is not always there. Can you relate to that a little bit? We're like, okay, I know that Jesus is trustworthy. I know that he can do all things, but my will and my heart is like hesitant. Then you would connect with Mark chapter nine. We have this on, on the screen. All right, this is a father who has a son who is struggling. He's got an unclean spirit. It's been tormenting his son his whole life. And his father is helpless. Can you imagine being that father that's watching their son or daughter just struggle? And there's nothing that he can do about it. Then this man Jesus comes along. And Jesus asks the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Sometimes we read past that and we, we just blow right by it because it's hard to understand. But can you imagine being a dad and watching your kids struggle? This is this father. And he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cries out and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And this is a prayer that we can pray. Like, I know you to be true. I know you're the Messiah. I know you have authority. I know you have authority in this world. I know who you are. I know your character is good. I know you have plans for me that are to prosper me, and these plans are good. I know the promises, 
but I'm not feeling it. I'm still scared. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I'm afraid. I'm having a hard time stepping forward. Then you would relate to this father. Like, I believe. Would you help me in my unbelief? And Jesus is so compassionate. He meets us where we're at, and he helps this father in his unbelief. Is there something that you've been holding back from God? Is there something that you're afraid to take to him? He wants your heart. He wants to know everything. He does know, but he wants to hear you express that to him. He wants your heart to be willing to share, right? He longs for your heart. So if we know Jesus and we trust him with our heart, if we know Jesus then you trust him with an eternal mindset. If you know Jesus, you trust him with an eternal mindset. Flip over to Psalm chapter 13. We have this one on the screen. I was in church just recently and God really used this in my life and so felt the Lord lead me to share it with you this morning. Psalm 13. This is a psalm from David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. How many of you have been there with David? In these moments where you're just crying out, how long are you going to forget me, O Lord? This is a psalm of lament where David is just being real with God. He is pouring his heart out. And he's feeling a little bit discouraged, right? And we, and we read that throughout the Psalms where David is like, you know, crying out to the Lord because of what is going on with his circumstances. But this is what he says in five and six. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So he cries out to the Lord. He shares his heart. And then there's this moment where he just recognizes in the midst of all of that, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will still rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the same guy who is just saying, how long is it going to be that you're forgetting about me? He comes at the end saying, I know that he, I know that you have dealt bountifully with me. I love that phrase. We had a, we had a big to-do last uh, week, about 10 days or so. Um, it's never really good when you open up your faucet and like the water stops. I don't know if you've experienced this, but like, you know, we take for granted, you know, sometimes that, you know, you turn the faucet on, water's going to come out, you know, showers, drinking water, um, you know, for all the animals that we have, just water is important. And the water, you know, didn't come. And so 
Um, you know, that's not ideal for a dad. You know, I got nine people that are dependent upon me, including myself, showers, flushing toilets. Like, you're just like the basics. Water is kind of like, can you imagine just for a second, like not having water? Water is important, right? And so I was a little bit worried, okay? I did not handle it really well. I was pretty, uh, pretty worried. We got in contact with uh, a company that would come out and help us with our situation. Either in our well, either the pump had failed or, you know, with, without any rain that we've had for so long, you know, um, you know, maybe we have a low well situation. And so, um, it, you know, it turns out these, these guys don't work for free. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, new pump, you know, anyway water back in the situation, but still tenuous because it's a low well situation, right? And so all of a sudden, like we, I, I've, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest for 40 some of the years and, you know, 45 solid years. I've never once prayed for rain until the last 10 days. I am praying for rain. So I'm sorry if you're praying for sun, I'm praying for rain harder. Okay. So I am praying for rain. Selfishly, I would ask you to do the same. But <laughs> let me just say, I didn't handle it like David, okay? I had the lament part down, but I didn't have the come around and, yeah, the Lord has taken like, care of me bountifully. Right? That was not my immediate response. I needed to come to my family and confess my sin to them and uh, talk to each one of my kids and my wife and say, look, I'm really sorry for my attitude. It's not been helpful. <laughs> because I was lamenting without the context of, yes, God is so good. I've been to Malawi where showers were limited and water was limited and I did not think that would be the case in my own home, right? And so I had the lament down, but I didn't have the context and yet God is good. And that is who, that is who he is. Because the reality is what we experienced was short-lived and it's difficult. We're showering at someone else's house. We're washing clothes at someone else's house. We're, we're like, you know, rationing water. And uh, it's not what I dreamed of. But there's so many things that we can be grateful for. Friends just down the street that are opening up their house to us, opening up their water to us in ways that are like, ah, oh, this is so, uh, like, invasive into their world. And they're just doing it graciously. So grateful for that. People have reached out and said, we, how can we help? right? So grateful. The Lord has been bountiful for us and with us, and we have so much to be grateful. And in the midst of my microcosm moment, <laughs> I didn't see that. I lost sight of that. And so if we know him, then we trust him with an eternal mindset because our short-term first world problems is just a blip on the screen of the greater eternal significance of our life. An internal mindset is one that says our time in, our, in this broken world is limited. And there's much more important things to consider than our earthly circumstances. 
And in the midst of difficulty, the church rises up and chooses joy. In the midst of hardship, the church rises up and cares for one another. In the midst of difficulty, the church sees the power of the Holy Spirit move in ways to comfort and to bring peace in miraculous ways. And we've seen that time and time again, where we can lament, but we recognize who God is in the greater picture, and he will meet our needs because that is who he is. He is good. He is the God who brings promises and comfort. This is who he is. And he doesn't change in the midst of a difficult circumstance. And so if we know him, we trust him with an eternal mindset. Finally, if we know him, we trust him and we join him in his work. So Jesus was the earthly embodiment of the presence of God. These two blind men in Matthew chapter 20, they recognized that. They recognized that the presence of God was walking past them. They recognized that he was Messiah, that he was literally God in flesh walking by. They knew that he was the one to save the world. Like they recognized that. They knew that and they trusted. They trusted him and they called out to him. So Jesus was actually the very embodiment of the presence of God. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That word dwelt in the Greek is the word for tabernacle. And so it really means the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. In the Old Testament, we know that the tabernacle was the, was the place that was set up, designed for the presence of God to be in. And everyone knew that that's where God was. In the Holy of Holies. And then the tabernacle became the temple. And the temple was destroyed. And then the presence of God wasn't in a specific place on the earth until the form of Jesus. And Jesus, in the incarnation, Jesus takes on bodily form. He is tabernacling on earth. And there he is. He's walking from Jericho to Jerusalem, the very presence of God. And where he is going, he's bringing the kingdom of God with him. And so he sees the man with the withered hand and he, he doesn't step away from someone who has sickness, probably a result of some sin in his life and he's got this withered hand. He doesn't step, no, he has compassion and he steps towards and he heals the man with the withered hand. He sees these blind men, he heals them and piece by piece, Jesus, the embodiment of the presence of God on earth is bringing the kingdom of God, writing the disorder into order, bringing what is dead alive. This is what he's doing piece by piece as he's going around from place to place. This is Jesus, the embodiment. He's tabernacling. It's the presence of God in bodily form going around. And that is who Jesus is. And then he ascends into heaven and he goes and he's, and he's sitting by the right hand of the father. And this again is where the presence of God in bodily form leaves. And yet what are we given? We're given the Holy spirit. And now church, you are tabernacling amongst the earthly world here. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are tabernacling. We are dwelling in this world that is out of order because of sin. We have the opportunity to help Jesus bring the kingdom of God to wherever it is that we are, whether it's the soccer field or the flag football field or the workplace or the church or wherever it is that you are meeting with people, like you have the presence of God with you, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. If you are a believer here this morning and you have trusted Jesus because you know him, you have trusted him with your very salvation, then you have the Holy Spirit in you and you are tabernacling amongst the people. 
And we have the opportunity to be ambassadors for him. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If we know Jesus, we trust him and join him in his work. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are ambassadors for Christ. And an ambassador represents Christ. An ambassador goes into the world representing God. And we have the opportunity to represent God and then bring the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation, we can bring the truth, God's truth, his love, his, his, uh, we, we, when, when given the opportunity, we can move in and amongst the world as best we can, doing our best to represent who God is in how we operate. And when given the opportunity, we can share our faith and how we were reconciled to God what was in disorder has been brought to order because of who Jesus is. I know him. He has, I've trusted my life with him and he has changed me. And he can change you. Would you like to hear more? We have the chance to bring that ministry of reconciliation to the people that God brings into our world. And so we have, we have the chance to join Messiah, the same one that these two blind men recognized, we have the opportunity to join him in his work on earth, bringing reconciliation to people, continuing to bring healing, to, like, to bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. And just as Jesus was tabernacling around, bringing the kingdom of God, making things right that were wrong, we have the opportunity to do that, to join in the work that he's doing by sharing the gospel, being his ambassador, by living out a new way of living, the way that Jesus instructs us to live. You know, looking at Matthew 5, looking at the Beatitudes, saying, this is how I can operate in this broken world. The world wants to operate this way. Jesus says, operate this way. And I'm going to choose to operate like Matthew 5. Each of us can do this where we're called to serve. Each of us are called to be ambassadors. But I just implore you, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus with your heart, like, please, please, know Jesus, know him. Know who he is. Know that he is the God who rec recognized the brokenness of this world and he has sacrificed his son Jesus on our behalf. This is who he is. And I just implore you to, to trust him with your life. And if you don't know how to do it, would you find a leader in the church, a deacon, somebody, a friend here that you're sitting next to? I'd be happy to talk with you about it. Find someone that can help answer some of the questions that you might have. How do I trust him? To know Jesus is to trust him.
Would you pray with me? Lord, we recognize that we need you. Lord, would you help us in our unbelief? Lord, a lot of this stuff we know intellectually. Would you help us to walk it out in our life? Practically. Lord, there are probably things that we could all lament about because there is always difficulty. This world is broken. There is hardship. There is difficulty. There is pain. And there is loss. But the truth is that you are a God who loves, that you are a God who provides, that you are a God who brings comfort, that you are a God who brings the miraculous, that you are the God who does what we don't expect. You can do the impossible. You can bring comfort to difficult times. You have, just like for David, you have been bountiful for him. You have been bountiful for us. Thank you for your provision in our life. We are grateful for your salvation. We're grateful that we can have new life in you. Lord, help us to help us in our unbelief. Help us to know you and to trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now I just want to remind you to, to stick around. I am going to end our time with a benediction.